Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. And it reads, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines are blossoming. I want you to look at each other and say, foxes of love. Foxes of love. Amen. Uh, The Word of God is already blessed, but I declare that this Word penetrates into not only uh, your heart, but into your mind and spirit, that it transforms you as you listen to it, that it becomes an active Word living inside of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, I have the honor of preaching to you guys, Foxes of Love, and as I was preparing this message, um, God kept bringing into my spirit, Foxes of Love, and because I'm from New Jersey, the first thing when I thought of foxes is I immediately thought of my parents and the 80s and their stories about a nightclub in New Jersey called Foxes, (laughs) Um, and their stories of it. And then after that, I started thinking about how my son Zayden, when he sees foxes and his room has foxes decorated in it, how excited he gets around a fox and how sometimes his little inquisitive nature can become like a fox. And I was thinking about all these great things and I'm like, oh yeah, foxes of love. And as I read the verse, I started realizing something. See, the Song of Songs, the book of Song of Songs is a book that many people quote, many poets, many authors, many lovers that are Christians (laughs) usually tend to quote that book because it has so many poetic and beautiful things. And in chapter 2, we see here that the Shulamite woman, who's the one that's saying these beautiful words, she's looking at her beloved and the couple of verses before she's like describing his face and how handsome she thought he was and all of a sudden she stops and as she's looking at him and describing his strong jaw then she goes wait you need to catch all the foxes those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines are blossoming And I began to think, like, why would she use something so cute, right? We see the little foxes up there, and they look so cute. See, but the Shulamite woman and the people that were reading at that time, they understood something, that even though foxes look cute, they're very destructive. See, a lot of times in relationships, as we continue on in our relationships, it's usually the very small things that at first we find cute about one another that end to break us right? Think about it. An author, one time he wrote and he said, "Um, a marriage or a relationship, no matter how strong it is at the seams, the small little words will destroy the middle. So you can be strong on the outside and you could be hashtag relationship goals on the outside, but on the inside, when no one else is looking, the middle of your relationship is breaking at the seam. It's breaking in the middle of it. Your seams are very, very strong, right? And one thing that I began to realize is I remember a time within my relationship and within my marriage uh, that every time we post a picture, my husband and I, Pastor and I, people would be like, oh, yeah, hashtag relationship goals. Hashtag yes, right? 
But the hashtag yes and the hashtag relationship goals wasn't what we were living in our household. We were breaking in the middle. Why? Because we didn't learn. We learned how to communicate Christianese. We never learned how to communicate love. We never learned our love language. We didn't learn how to communicate with one another. And as we began to foster that relationship, one of the biggest things that God was telling me is like the little foxes are small animals that have the ability to destroy the whole vineyard because they're so small and close to the ground that they eat up not only the fruit but destroy the root of the vineyard. So the little foxes come and the vineyard looks so beautiful and luscious and full of grapes and your love and your relationship seems blossoming and you guys take vacations together and you guys are saving up for a house and you guys have uh, met all of your lifetime goals within five years. You guys have the ability to get rid of debt, right? And come to Sunday service and you found the church that you guys are planted in and you're serving in and you're volunteering in. But when you go home and you take off all the weight of leadership and all the weight of Jesusness, do you take off Jesus like your leather jacket or is he still living inside of you? See, because I love my leather jacket. That's why I wear it today. But when I go home, I take this off. This baby doesn't come with me in the shower. So no matter how much people are like, oh, yeah, Pastor Marie, she preaches with a leather jacket sometimes. That isn't a part of me. That's something I put on. And we have to make sure that our relationship with God is the same way. It's not something that we put on. It's something that's part of us. Amen. So today, like, I just want to ask you some questions. It's what are the small things in your relationship that are destroying your vineyard of love? Right? Let's take preventative measures to protect our love from anything that can harm it. And if you guys know me, the ones that know me from Matrix, you guys know, like, I'm like a super nerd. And that's okay. Jesus loves nerds. Um, <laughs> and there was a... Uh, the University of Michigan, they conducted a research, um, and it was spearheaded by two people. One was James House, and the other one was Louise Vergrudge. And they found that individuals in an unhappy marriage or in an unhappy uh, partnership have an increased sickness by 35%. And their lifespan shortens by four years. I don't know about you guys, but I like living here. <laughs> And I feel like God still has a lot of things for me to do here before I focus on moving on to the next life. So if there's something within my marriage and my relationship that's unhealthy, that's going to shorten my lifespan, I need to get it together, right? So this is mainly due to not only unhappy marriage, but it also places like a strain in the mind and the body, and it results in anxiety, depression, decreased immunity, and substance abuse, and this is real, guys. This is super real. This is coming from someone who had everything, a great church, an amazing church. God healed my ovaries. I was finally able after five years where doctors told me I could never have a child, I finally gave birth to a child. But even in all of that, after going through my blessing, I went through something called postpartum that I didn't know how to communicate with my husband, and it was breaking our marriage. To such a degree that because my husband didn't know how to get through to me, he also started becoming sick as well. 
So a lot of times we don't realize the effects that unhappy marriage and the fact that we don't know how to do great conflict resolution, the effects that it has not only on our minds and body, but on our spirit and soul. Amen? So not only from a side in husband and wife or partners, also children are affected negatively by unhappy marriages. So children in households with significant marital troubles, they experience persistent high levels of stress and have long-term negative effects on their health and behavior. So these children have been observed to have more frequently exhibit behaviors that pertain to aggression, depression, underachievement, peer rejection, and truancy. And a lot of times we blame divorce on this, and the study found that this had nothing to do with divorce. This had to do with hostility in the household. So sometimes we're so involved in what's going on in our own life that we don't realize the effects that it's taking on our children. And sometimes we think, well, I don't argue in front of my kids. But your kids can notice that there's hostility between you guys. The kids can notice the lack of love between you guys. Amen. But today we're going to fix that. Amen. So the first point is, are you speaking the same language? Are you speaking the same language? See, there's a story in the book of Genesis, and it's called the story of the Tower of Babel. And the Bible says that after the flood of Noah, people started getting together and they started kind of like rebuilding the earth. And as they were rebuilding the earth, a group of people decided that, you know what, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go and we're going to build this huge tower, and this huge tower is going to reach the heavens. And the Bible says something very interesting. It says, at the time, all the peoples had one language. See, so because they had one language and because they all understood each other, they were able to go ahead and start a task with a mission and a goal in place. So they went and they started building and building and building and building and building and building, right? They're like all talking to each other as they're building and they're doing their sketches, right? And they're building their little bricks out of mud. First century people, right? <laughs> and um, the Bible says that all of a sudden as God saw this, the Bible says that he came, God came, and he divided their languages. Boom. And when he divided their languages, the Bible says that the people became confused and could not accomplish the task. See, and you're like, all right, Pastor Amory, I know the story. I'm like, yes. You're like, what does it have to do with marriage? If you do not speak the same language, you will never accomplish a task. See, they were accomplishing the task together. But the moment that a different language set in, boom, they couldn't, they couldn't communicate with each other. They didn't know what the other person was saying. There was no translator involved, right? They didn't have the ability to be bilingual, so they didn't understand, so they had to let go of the task because they could no longer communicate effectively with each other. So if you're not speaking the same language or understand the same the language that your spouse or partner is speaking, you're not going to be able to accomplish a task. Another thing is if you're not speaking the same language, confusion starts to take over. Perfect example, I work for the court and I work 
uh, specifically for grand jury. And a lot of times we do have a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking users or users that speak another language. Because in New Jersey, I'm considered racially ambiguous. <laughs> People usually can't, don't know what I am. And where I work, there's a heavy influx of Arabs and uh, Brazilians. So usually they don't think that I'm a Latina woman. They automatically think that I'm a Portuguese woman. <laughs> or they think that I'm Egyptian. So a lot of times they'll go in and they'll start speaking to me. They're like, fala portugues? <laughs> right? And I'm like, I don't, I, all, all I understand is, eu não falo portugues. That's all I know how to say, right? See, but my limitations, and I'm a mastery level approved by the state of New Jersey in the language of Spanish, but I have no mastery level of a language that descended from the Latinx language, which is Brazilian, right? So the root of Brazilian and Spanish are the same, but yet when it comes together, when it's divulged, it's totally different languages. See, Brazilians understand what Hispanics are saying, but Hispanics, we understand nothing that they're saying, right? A lot of times it happens like that in a relationship. A lot of times one of the partners understands what you're saying, even though that's not their main language, yet they kind of understand what they're saying, but they're getting lost in translation. Why? Because it sounds similar, but it's not the same. Amen? So we have to be very, very careful of making sure that we're always not only speaking the same language, but that we're speaking it correctly and that we know how to interpret what we're trying to say. So communication is very important in, in a marriage and in a relationship if you're trying to make sure that you effectively communicate, right? Dr. Jerry Chapman wrote the greatest book ever. He wrote The Five Love Languages, right? He wrote The Five Love Languages of Love, The Five Love Languages of Singleness, The Five Love Languages of Teens, Dogs. I think he wrote, like, every version available that there is, right? But his main five love languages do not change, right? There's five languages that, as people, we love to interpret love as, right? Words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and gifts. When my husband and I, and this is a true story, when my husband and I started courting, our first date, he took me to a Greek restaurant. And when he picked me up, I remember him picking me up from work. And when he picked me up from work, he had a little gift bag in the seat. And inside of the gift bag, it was literally our first date. He gave me the five love languages. <laughs> Homeboy came ready, okay? <laughs> why? Because he said this to me. And I'm like, why are you giving me this book? This is our first date. How do you know we're, we're going to get to a second date? And he looked at me. He said, we're not going to get to a second date until you read the book and you tell me what your love language is. Because he said, we can start something Christ-centered, but if we don't know our love language, we don't know how to disseminate the Christ-centeredness in us. Yeah, that's why I married him. <laughs> but even in our highs and lows, I understood that my words of affirmation, my number one is quality time. You can tell me I'm beautiful all day long, but if you don't spend time with me, those words mean nothing to me, right? So if you're clapping like that, you're like, yes, that's my love, right? 
right? And the same way, let me tell you something. The five love languages is so powerful that I found that the, the same way that we relate love with our partners, the same way that we relate love with the way that God is expressing his love with us. Because a lot of times if we're quality time people, if we don't have that time to give quality time to God, we feel like something's missing out, like God has abandoned us, right? And we feel like sometimes condemnation can get to us and God is like, listen, there is therefore now no condemnation. You're like, I don't want the words, I want the time. See, my husband, he's words of affirmation. I have to tell him how amazing he is, right, all the time, how great he looks, right, all the time. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we have, most pastors are uh, uh, words of affirmation, right? So they're like, oh, yes. Oh, how, how did I do in the message? You're like, mm, it was okay. And they're like, oh. So sometimes I'll mess with him and I'm like, yeah, it was all right. So my husband and I are both preachers. So, and uh, I didn't realize that a lot of times when we first started in our relationship, he would take a message that I preached and he would bring me his own three points on a conclusion that he would have done to the same message. And I would look at him and I'd be like, I'm going to choke you and we're never going to make it to the altar. Right? But I started realizing that his way of showing me love is saying, honey, I know a way that you did a great job, but let me improve you with my skill. So sometimes if you're not speaking the same language, you are going to feel like you're constantly being attacked because that's not your love language of choice. Right? And you're like, okay, why are you going through this? This is important that I go through this because I need you to understand that this is going to be one of the biggest factors of conflict in your relationship. It's that you don't know how to communicate because you don't even know what your love language is. And I'm not saying you. I'm saying you, me, because sometimes I don't need, I got to go back and realize who am I? And one of the things that I found is after I had my baby, I changed. My love language shifted. I didn't want quality time because I felt like I was being smothered. And sometimes men think like, oh, women are always changing. No, you're going to change as you progress. There's going to be things, bumps along the road that are going to make you a little bit different, right? So Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Mm. right a soft answer and sometimes the soft answer doesn't even have to be words it has to be the love language that you're speaking do it with gentleness show them that you understand their love language even if it's different from yours and learn how to compromise right James chapter 1 verse 19 says be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger Right? And I always say this in my church, I always say this verse to men. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Even though women can tend to be more fiery right away, men, if you tell them a problem of what's going on at work, right, ladies that are in relationship, they're quickly going to be like, well, then just quit. Right? <laughs> just quit. <laughs> tell them to move you. Right? <laughs> Get another job. Polish your resume. And I literally had to tell my husband, honey, that's not the point. That's not why I'm telling you. I'm just telling you so you can listen. Just listen. (laughs) 
right? So be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The next thing I want you to realize is that words are verbs and adjectives. Say with me, words are verbs and adjectives. If there's any English majors, I know words are more than that, like noun, subject, predicate, and pronoun, but words today are verbs and adjectives, okay? A verb is a word used to describe an action, occurrence, or state, and an adjective is a word naming an attribute used to modify or describe it. See, in a relationship, uh, the words we use have power, and that power it has is threefold. It can describe, it can modify, or it can activate. The words you speak over your spouse and over your partner have threefold. The words you speak over your children and your situation are threefold. The words you speak, every word you speak to yourself are threefold. Okay? It can describe, it can modify, or it can activate. You can modify someone's behavior by the way that you speak to them. Right? Many ladies say, oh, I love a man that's a work in project. Right? I can fix him all up. But if you're not speaking the right words, that man is always going to stay the same way. If you never encourage him, he's never going to change. If you never encourage him and feed him the word of Christ, that word is never going to activate inside of him, no matter how much you do. Trust me, I know that from experience. See, one of the things that, that um, it always reminds me of is hydrogen peroxide, right? Hydrogen peroxide by itself does nothing. It's just liquid in a brown bottle, right? But you put it next to an open cut, and what happens? It bubbles. But did you know that it only bubbles if an infection is starting to arise? A lot of times we don't realize that the words that we're speaking activate something and we feel like our partners are bubbling up and we don't realize there's an infection going on in there. There's an open cut. There's a sore spot that you hit because if you put hydrogen peroxide over your skin, it's just water. It never bubbles. But if you put it over an open cut that isn't healing, over an open cut that has infection, over an open cut that the enemy is constantly applying pressure to, all you're going to do is activate it and never heal it. See, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love its fruit, uh, love, those who love it will eat its fruit. We have the power of life and death in our tongue. But how we use that will depend on what we do with the words that we're speaking. How people will react. Right? Are your words modifying? Are your words activating? Or are your words describing? We have to be careful with the way that we speak to people. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let me tell you something. My husband and I, we started pastoring a year into our marriage. 
And we already had the hardest year ever. We were associate pastors at our old church, and we did so much, and we barely had time to enjoy the fruits of being newly married, right? <laughs> and um, we also had someone that was a close friend to us go through a really bad divorce in the public Christian eye, and they were living in our couch. So we were newlyweds trying to take care of someone whose marriage was breaking, and we were trying to navigate that. And in the midst of that, God calls us to start pastoring. And we started pastoring. And I remember that there were a lot of times when people would leave, the arguments would start. Because we started our church in, at home. And for a long time, I was very frustrated because I was so used to speaking the way that my mom would speak. Right? I was so used to seeing my parents, and the way that my mom would speak is, oh, you never do anything right. You never listen to me. I've told you this a million times. How many more times do I have to tell you? Oh, forget it. Don't do it. I'm going to do everything because I'm the only one that does everything. And a lot of times we use this vernacular, and we don't realize that we're killing something inside of our spouse little by little. Right? I didn't realize that every time I told my husband, you never do, his encouragement or his idea side of his mind that uh, wanted to bring up new ideas and wanted to do things was little by little diminishing because he felt like, I never do it right anyway, so why am I going to even start? So a lot of times the, the words that we have, and a lot of times we don't realize that the words that we say in and never go back, the only thing that we say is, honey, I'm sorry. We never go back and say, honey, I'm sorry. You know what? You're not this person. You are this, what Christ has declared you. If you're only saying sorry and the next time you argue, you're going to do it again, don't, you know what? Like my husband told me one time, just don't even say sorry. Just keep doing it. But if we want to have transformed minds, and we do have transformed minds, amen, then we know that we have the power of life and death. So the moment that we slip up and speak death over our spouse and tell them never, things like, you never do this, you never get this right, you never understand me, you always, always and never can be the most destructive words that you speak over your spouse. And I realized that the moment that I started going ahead and speaking into my husband, the Lord really started ministering. And he's like, why do you speak so much life into your members, but you can't even speak that life into your marriage? See, it's so easy for us to encourage someone that we only see two to three times a week. And it's hard for us to encourage someone that sleeps right next to us every day. And God is like, no, 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 no. That's not what I've decreed. You got to encourage him first. For you to be able to encourage others. Right? Because you guys are one flesh. And I started realizing that the words that I was speaking to him were words that I felt about myself. And I learned this one truth. You can't see the God in your spouse if you can't even see it for yourself. You'll never be able to identify the God and the Christ in your spouse if you can't see the, the God in you. If you can't see the attributes of Christ being formed in you, like the Apostle Paul said. 
If you don't see his attributes being formed in you, then your language and your verbiage and your action words and your adjectives, they're never going to change. They're never going to change. See, but there was something that I did. Do you guys want it? You sure? There was something that I did, and this is where I was able to find where not only me surrendering my mind to Christ and me surrendering my heart fully to Christ and what he had to do in him, because this is all possible in him. You can try with your own strength to do this, but if you don't do it in him, that's the key word. Words are verbs and adjectives. In him is the word and the adjective. In him gives you the power to be able to do something, and it also gives you the ability to describe yourself. I am this in him, but I also do this in him. Amen? So the first thing that I needed to do was I needed to know who my enemy was. Do you know who your enemy is? And in that, I needed to identify his name. Right? So I went through the Bible and I'm like, all right, you're going to teach me, Lord, what his name is. I'm like, I know him by devil, but I know that there's other names. And the first name I came upon was a name that I constantly called my husband, and it was Thief. Not that my husband steals, but I kept telling him, you robbed me of my time. And, and God had to go ahead and correct me and tell me, no, no, no. John chapter 10, 10 says, the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the word that I was using to describe my husband was actually a word that only belonged to the devil. See, so if you don't identify your enemy, you're never going to know what his true name is. And you're constantly going to call your husband Johnny thief, which is the devil's name. The next thing was adversary. I felt like he was constantly against me. And God told me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, not Thomas, your adversary, not Johnny, your adversary, not Maria, Juana, Poncella. <laughs> That's real Puerto Rican, sorry. <laughs> your adversary what? The what? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. See, the moment we stop seeing our partners as our adversary and start seeing the enemy as our real adversary, things begin to change in our marriage and life. Amen? The third thing was I started telling my, my husband or my husband would tell me, honey, I never said that. That's a lie. You're a liar. And God was like, no, 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 no. The only liar is John chapter 8, verse 44, verse B. There is no truth in him. And him, not your spouse, or her, not your spouse. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a liar and the father of all lies. And the second thing I had to do was I needed to identify his schemes. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. You and I are not ignorant to his schemes. And if you feel like, well, I didn't know that that was the devil. Today, you're leaving here knowing that that was the enemy trying to separate purpose in your life. 
Okay? The moment that you begin to change your, the way that you speak, and I'm telling you this out of so much passion because I lived it. I was a pastor who spoke life to everyone else but couldn't speak it into my marriage. So don't think that the way that you are is going to disqualify you from your position in Christ. None of this disqualifies you from your position in Christ. All it does is disqualify you from being able to be happy yourself. You're disqualifying yourself. He never disqualifies you. You've already been approved in him. But you're disqualifying your marriage from the opportunity. You're disqualifying your relationship from what God is able and will do through you. See, the enemy's biggest scheme is to have you use his characteristics and ascribe your partner as one of them. That's the enemy's biggest, biggest, biggest scheme. And even me pastoring, and even God blessing me, and even me speaking in big conferences, and speaking everywhere, and people knowing us, and us being relationship goals, the enemy had me wrapped up in that one thing. I continuously described my husband as someone that, as a name that did not belong to him, it belonged to the devil. And I felt like I was sleeping with the enemy, like the 80s movie. <laughs> marriage is not a movie you're not going to see yourself in lifetime you're not going to see yourself in a novella you're not going to see yourself in days of our lives marriage is not a movie the moment that you continue to think that marriage is a movie you're going to continue to think that your husband is the villain or your wife is the villain of your story and you don't realize that Christ is trying to be the hero of it all See, so the enemy's biggest scheme was that he continuously let me feel things and put darts, right? The Bible says that the enemy, what, throws darts. He could be in Africa and just throw you a dart like, he a liar, right? And you do things like, let me check your phone. I feel like you're lying to me. God is telling me you're lying. No, no, no. That's the enemy. <laughs> God is like, homie, calm down. Right? God is never going to have you call your spouse out of the character that he created them to be. God is never going to have you call your partner, your loved one, your child, something that he didn't already describe in his word for them. He didn't die on a cross and he didn't shed his blood and he didn't go ahead and go into a garden, into a grave. He didn't go ahead and take back the keys from hell. He didn't do all of that and then go ahead and sit up, come back, teach his disciples who couldn't understand the message again for another 40 days and then go back into the heaven. And after he went and sat back in the heavens, he went and spiritually gave you access by seating you right next to him and in him and with him and through him and all of the in hims. So for you to go ahead and tell the person that God has brought you near that they are a liar, that they are your adversary, that they are a thief, that they are robbing you of your time and purpose. These are not things that God is revealing to you. These are darts that the enemy is trying to use to go ahead and destroy. 
See, what you have to do is you have to unite for purpose. And I'm going to ask the worship team if they can start coming up because I'm, I'm almost done. See, Philippians chapter 2 verse 2 says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It doesn't say speaking the same language. Why? Because you're going to speak a different language. And most of us, a lot of us are bilingual. Or we have the ability to be bilingual. So the same way that we can be bilingual in the natural, we have to be bilingual in the spiritual. And learn our spouse's love language and say, honey, how do you receive love? How is it that you feel most loved by me? And the second thing, you have to make sure that you realize that your words are adjectives and verbs, that they have this power. But what you do with it depends on the outcome. It's not that your spouse probably has anger issues. It's that what you said activated something in them. You poured hydrogen peroxide with your words on an open cut that's infecting. See, Philippians chapter 2, it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. It doesn't mean that everything that you're going to have is going to be complete like oh we both love all the same shows we both love anime that's not what God is saying God is saying have the same mind have my mind right when you transform your mind you're going to have the transformation that God wants and you're going to transform your mind into his mind the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ so it's not only when you realize that you change your perspective, that you have the mind of Christ, that you're able to realize and communicate better with your spouse. You have to identify his schemes and you have to say from this day forward, I'm going to stop speaking the way I've been speaking to my spouse. I'm going to stop thinking about the way I've been thinking about my spouse. And that's something that we're going to surrender today. Amen. And I want you guys to stand. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.